Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, you are all the living, Father, and we are so thankful for that, O God. Father, we are thankful that with you we can do all things to Christ who has strengthened us. Father, we are thankful that you give us everything that we need to live a godly life empowered by the Holy Spirit. Worship them for Father God that you told us everything about the future. And none of this uh, that is happening right now should take us for surprise, Father God, because you told us Father, we ask you that we allow the peace of God, the surpasses all understanding, will cover us, Father God. Yes, Lord. On the top of our heads, with all of our feet, Father God. That we will recognize, Father, that in this world we will have trials, we will go through difficulties, persecution, mm. sickness, everything that is happening is for a reason. Yes, Lord. But to be a good share that you have overcome the world, to know that you are for us and not against us, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. That we are above and not beneath. We are the head and not the tail. Lord Jesus, you, you are awesome. An awesome Father, Lord Jesus. You are the great shepherd. And you know all of us. Your saint, your people. Lord, we ask you this morning, God, that, that we will continue to walk habitually in the spirit. That we will not gratify the desire of the flesh that we will crucify this flesh to the cross and the passion desire for this world and the things of this world, we will crucify it right there at the cross, at the feet of Jesus, Father. Yes. So, Lord, you are an awesome Father. Your mercy, your goodness, your love for us is just amazing. Yes, Lord. Lord, so this morning we come together, Lord Jesus, to glorify your name. Yes. To testify the goodness of the Lord in the name of the living. Yes, Lord. Declare, Father, that you are God and God alone. That you are our King. That you are our Lord. Yes. That you have the right, Father God, to do whatever you want to do with us as please you, Father God. So, Lord, have your way in all of us. Teach us, guide us, instruct us. Discipline us, Father God. Help us to be still and know that you are God. That you are in control of everything. Lord Jesus, so today we ask you, Lord Jesus, that you will take control of us and everything that we do and say, Father. Yes, Lord. Lord, I want more of you and less of me. That's my prayer for all of us, Father God. More of you and less of us, Father God. So, Lord, have your way this morning. Use your servant. Strengthen him physically, mentally, and spiritually, Father God, that he will be able to deliver the message that you already placed in his heart, Father God. Yes, Lord. And I pray for all the churches, Father God, around here in the U.S. and around the world, Father God, those who are speaking the truth, the only the truth, that you sanctify them, that you are strengthening them, yes. that will continue to be bold and courageous and testify goodness of the Lord, Father God. So we thank you. We give you the glory and the honor because you are good. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
matter what trial you find yourself in, it doesn't matter how big the mountain is, he's great. And it's not even close. He's 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 so much great. And 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 he has all power, he knows the end from the beginning, so you don't have to be afraid. Actually, you can rejoice before you see your prayer answered. Don't have to wait.
In Revelation 4, 9 through 11, it reads, And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him, that's set on the throne, living forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him, that's set on the throne, and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before him saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. So God, we're here for You. We were created for Your pleasure. Thank you for that reminder, Lord. God, that those who are in Christ, Father, Lord, will be with you for eternity. We have fellowship with you now, but God, the hope of fellowship with you for all eternity. Thank you for that, Father. Thank you, Lord, that you came and you were obedient to the Father, that you knew the cross was set before you. Father, we thank you that you so loved the world, that you sent your only one and Son, your only one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You are God and God alone. I pray, God, that you would Pour out afresh and anew upon your people, Lord. God, that we would have, Father, a desire and a greater hunger and thirst for righteousness. God, that we would not just get entangled with sin, but that we would throw off the sin that so easily entangles us. And that we would pursue after you, Father. We thank you, Lord, that you've begun this work in us. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit, our our teacher, our guide, God in us, God with us. So, Father, may we be attentive to your leading, Lord. May we be about your business. May we deny ourselves. May we pick up the cross and follow after you each day. We thank you for this, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to gather. We pray for those that are either among us or maybe listening now or later. God, if they don't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. That, God, you would be pleased to reveal yourself to them through your son, Jesus. And that they would come to believe and have a bold confession that, Lord Jesus, you are the son of God and that you've risen from the grave. And we thank you for this, Lord that your kingdom will continue to advance until you return. And may your saints look up and be mindful, Lord, that you are returning. Our living hope, Jesus. And for this, we thank you. Amen. Amen. So community, two definitions I'm going to be holding up. 
and hopes to inspire us and to encourage us to really desire community. First, fellowship with Jesus, and then fellowship with the church. So community, a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. The second one, a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. I want to share a part of the notes that I shared with you at the beginning of this year and last week. Just a part of them, it's not all of the notes. But I want to hone in on a certain topic today. And these notes kind of lead us into that. So I've shared with you already, we are in error if we say and believe that you don't need to go to church. Where is that in the Bible? The enemy will love nothing more than to pull us apart. And so division and isolation, and I'm sorry, and isolate us from one another. We are to be working together, functioning as a body, each of us using our gifts that the Holy Spirit has distributed among us to accomplish our Father's will. I've always encouraged us to be a healthy member of the body of Christ. You are needed, and you are purposed for this generation. He has prepared good works for you to do, not in and of your own strength, but through Him. We are to live out this new life by the Holy Spirit, not our flesh. We are called not to forsake coming together and living out this life together in community. Going to church doesn't save you, but it does equip you. Not attending can lead you to error, which ultimately will lead you astray. As I said over the past year or so, that the way we've done church will not survive in this generation or in the generations to come. It is time for the church to return to her roots and grow in Christ and with each other. So I want us to think about the phrase that I've been sharing with you for quite some time now, that the church cannot continue to do what it's been doing because it's not going to survive in this generation and the generation to come. We've been blessed throughout generations to have a, an open window, an open door to fully function in society as Christians. Yes, there's always been persecution, and the church has been persecuted since the day it was birthed, but there's been some freedom, even in the midst of persecution, to go forth and to gather. Maybe not in all parts of the world, but half of the world. But we're finding ourselves in a generation, and as the generations continue until the day of the Lord's return, where it's going to get harder and harder and harder. And harder. The Bible teaches this. And the freedom, especially in our part of the world that we've had, is dwindling away. 
the zeal and the love for Christ in the churches and the religious institutions is dwindling. They're more concerned about the institution and not the Savior. They're more concerned with being part of the world and being accepted by the world than understanding the acceptance that they received by God through Christ. And God help us. God help us. Community is vital for the Christian. Because as I've encouraged us, you were not meant to do this on your own. It's not how God meant it. It doesn't matter how holy you think you are. If you think that you are meant to do this on your own, if you're missing gathering together, and it's good that we have access online, but that should not be the only time you're gathering is online. You need to be present. You need to be among the fellowship. It's important. It's important. Because it's how God intended it. To serve one another. To think of others before you think of yourself. To be able to engage here among your brothers and sisters so you understand what it, so that you go from this place and you understand how you're to go about day to day throughout your week engaging with others. Encouraging others. Edifying others. Building each other's up. Giving back what you've already received first from God. Like it's vital that we're growing, that we're maturing. It's important that this generation sees the people of God believing in their God. Because I've always told you, and Scripture tells us, even better, if you look at Scriptures from Genesis to Revelations, God's plan and God's purpose. I continually remind you of this. I put it before us as I put it before myself. God's plan, God's purpose is to have a people that he will call his own, and in return they will call him their God, that they would live for him. And remember, it's God who, who placed the desire within you to live for him. He equips you for what he's called you to. It's not about working this out in your flesh. Remember I told you last week, Paul even says to the church, why are you trying to live out in the flesh what you received in the Spirit? It can't be done. How foolish. How foolish to think that. Because you've been empowered by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, God Himself in you. To lead you into all, all that He's called you to. It's vital that you're in community. It's vital that you're a healthy member of the body of Christ. It's vital that you're growing and that you're maturing. You're allowing your roots to grow down deep into Christ. Because you are to bear the image of Christ. You're an, you are an image bearer to this generation. I keep encouraging you. You are meant for today. No matter how dark it's getting out there... You were meant for today to get brighter and brighter and brighter. You were meant. Your life is not an accident. You are purposed to fulfill what God 
has already purposed for you to do. Remember, the Bible tells us he's created good works for us to do, even before we took our first breath. So how are you doing each and every single day bearing his image? Do you really think that Jesus came, endured all that he endured, died a criminal's death, rose from the grave, so you can just come and go as you please. He's God today, but he's not God tomorrow. He's God in this moment because I need him, I need him. Pray for me, do for me, God, do for me, do for me. Oh God, I need you. But as soon as whatever he's able to do for you, he does, you turn and you go your other way. Is he God of your life? Is he Lord of your life? Do you know him? Are you in relationship with him? Are you in fellowship with the holy God? Not with the God that man has created or the religious institution has peddled out. I keep encouraging us, you cannot let the enemy teach you about God. Do you know him? He's holy. Holy. Holy is the Lord. Holy is the Lord. Do you know him? He's faithful to complete that which he has begun in you. Grace is not the license to keep sinning. It's the power to transform. Is your life different? Are you seeing evidences of of the power of God in your life by your maturing? Again, you're striving not for perfection because you're not perfected, until you're with him, but you ought to be maturing. You ought to be growing. You ought not to keep doing the things you used to do. It's a turning around. It's a whole new way of living. You've considered the cost. You're not tying to yourself to relationships, to family. You're not tying yourself to your earthly possessions. You're not tying yourself to your bank account. You're not tying yourself to this or to that one or anyone. No, no, no. You have let it all go. And Jesus, and Jesus, and Jesus alone is your desire. And you live behind enemy lines in a fallen world. To renown, you're called to go forth and to bear his image, to tell others about Jesus, to share the good news, to let them witness in your life the power of God. What are people witnessing from your life? Oh, they may hear you talk a good talk, but do you have the power of God? that they cannot deny that there's been a transformation taking place in your life. Again, not that you're living perfectly, because even in your failures, they should still witness transformation. Because you throw off the sin that so easily entangles you. You understand as you're growing, as you're maturing, as you're seeking Him with all of your heart, That you do not belong to yourself any longer. And that's what's so important about community. Because you're living this out with others who believe 
in Christ. You have a common interest, a common purpose. You're seeking Him together. You're growing together. You're doing life together. You understand the, 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 the struggle. You understand the warfare. You understand so that we can link arms with each other and by faith move forward. Move forward. Living it out. Worshiping our God. Trusting in our God. Believing in our God. Hoping in our God. Waiting for our God. Because He's returning. And there's never been a time on the face of this earth that the signs of the time are among us. We don't know the day or the hour, but by God we are living in the last days. There's so many signs that are taking place. Even unbelievers can't deny. But the crazy thing is, is they won't come to faith. And we even know that in the book of Revelations. We're even told when everything starts hitting the fan, when all the, the, the tri tribulation and the trials and the outpouring of God's wrath, they still will not turn to him. Have you turned to Christ, you all? Have you accepted Jesus? Is he, is he everything to you? Because there's no room for anything else in your heart. No room. Do you think upon him? Do you commune with him? Do you live for him? Do you acknowledge him in all that you do? Because you are a new creation. You've considered the cost. You're dead. Now it's Christ living in and through you. The hope of glory. The eternal hope that we have in Christ will never disappoint us, no matter what we're going through. Oh, we may have our excuses to stay immature. But that's not going to help you. You need to grow up. You need to be among community. Because in the last days, there's going to be a great falling away. There's going to be a great falling away. And that's why the church cannot continue to do what she's been doing. Especially the Western church. We can't. Of all of our gatherings, we have all of our shows and performances and this and that. And yet we're not impacting a culture. The culture's impacting us. And that's not how it's to be. We have, we have had every opportunity. But now the time is closing. And we need to equip ourselves and to prepare ourselves as we're seeking the Lord together. As he's equipping us to do the will of the Father in this generation that he's purposed us to do, to live, to be the light. To keep fanning the flame. To keep looking up. Living for him. In a day and an age 
when more and more and more and more people, the love is growing colder and colder and colder. And the desire to know God is falling faster and faster and faster to the side. Two, def- two words I'm going to lay out for you. Give you the definitions of, in case you don't know what they mean. And then we're going to look at some scriptures. But an apostate. It's a person who renounces a religious belief or principle. The next word is apostasy. It's an act refusing to continue to follow, obey, or recognize a religious faith. I'm not talking about the lost today. They're lost. They already stand condemned. If they don't turn to Jesus, there's no hope for them. Jesus himself said, That he didn't come to the world to judge the world, but to save the world because the world already stands condemned. Condemned. We know by reading scripture that there's a, the wrath of God is stored up. And there's a day and an hour that's appointed by God that his wrath is going to be unleashed upon this earth. And all of those who are part of the world, who are lost, that had refused him, are going to be swallowed up in his wrath. And those of us who are in Christ, we're already swallowed up in his love. So I always encourage us, why would you choose his wrath over his love? He's a good God. He's a great God. Again, I've always encouraged us, it's not God stiff-arming us. No, we stiff-arm God. We're the created, and we say to him, we don't need you. (laughs) But today I'm talking about people who've been among the church. People who are maybe even still among the church, holding a form but denying the power of God. They have a form of religion, They believe they're saved. In reality, they're not. There's more of them in the church than the church herself. And in the last days, the Bible warns us and tells us there's going to be a great falling away, a great apostasy. And so when you hear me tell you how important it is that you live this out in community, you're going to start seeing people that that were solid in faith turning and going a different way. We're already seeing it. Well-known pastors, people who've made over the years a big impact on the church, and yet their teaching just overnight has turned into heresy. And they're leading many astray. And this isn't anything new. And it doesn't take God by surprise. Because remember, Jesus even told the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you make people twice as much the son of hell as you are. This is Jesus' words. So it shouldn't take us by surprise. No. 
It's going to happen. In fact, it's going to get worse. People that you thought were secured in Christ, all of a sudden they're turning from Christ. People who showed to have a sincere devotion towards Christ, you're going to be, it's going to be revealed that their devotion was never Christ. And their fruitless deeds will be exposed. But the sad thing is many people will go their way. Many people will go their way. And that's why the understanding is that such great persecution is going to continue to intensify upon this earth. Because again, persecution of the church has been around since the church was birthed. And even before... (laughs) But it's only going to intensify. And Jesus warns us of it. And so do you really understand who Christ is and who we are as believers? Are you living out the life of a true believer in Christ? Do you understand your, his identity and your identity? And how you're to be living? Just because you show up on Sunday and you've slapped Jesus on your life and called yourself a Christian, it doesn't mean you're a Christian. Just because you might know Scripture back and forth, just because you've attended seminary, just because you can pray for hours and fast and meditate upon the things of God, that doesn't make you a Christian. Do you love God? With all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength. Has your life been transformed? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit daily, hourly, moment by moment, moment, minute by minute, to continue to work in your life, convicting you of that sin that you ought not to be messing around with, or thoughts you ought not to be entertaining? Like understanding what it means not to allow the world to pollute you, To understand what it means and to live out daily where the scripture tells us that those who are in Christ have nailed themselves to his cross. And the world's interest in them is completed. It's done. And the interest of the world is done. That greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. To understand what it means daily to take every thought captive and bring him to the obedience of his lordship. To understand what it means to to engage in spiritual warfare and to resist the enemy as you first submit to God. Like there is a way in which we are called to live. There is fruit that should be coming forth from our lives. And we understand that just because we're born again, that old nature is still within, cased within us. Galatians tells us the flesh and the spirit, they war against each other. And if you're not growing in Christ, if you're not growing and being discipled, how are you overcoming? Because you're not, you're, you're the one being taken down. The enemy, the flesh, the world, 
they will consume you. But those who are in Christ are only consumed by Jesus. By Jesus. They desire Him above else and above all. So a great falling away. These are the times in which we are living and the times that are upon this earth and it will continue so. And I want you to hear Scripture, how Scripture talks about apostates and the apostasy. So let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 2. And we are going to, we're going to bounce around a lot in Scripture. So today's the day to learn how to sharpen your sword. <laughs> I, could have made it, I could have made it easier for us and just kind of kept everything in order. But I presented the Scriptures to you how they were presented to me. As I, in my study, and by asking the Lord for direction. So we're going to sharpen our sword. We're going to go back and forth, back and forth. We're going to bounce all around in Scripture today. Scriptures on the apostasy. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Verses 1 through 2. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. These are people in the church. These are false teachers. Again, we're not talking about the lost. They already stand condemned. But these religious people among us, these apostates among us, the Bible says their consciences are dead. And that in the last day, as the Holy Spirit reveals it to us, because He tells us clearly that in the last time, some will turn away from the true faith and they will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. They never were grounded. They never were rooted in Christ. They just existed. That's why it's vital that you're just not existing. Just don't show up when it's convenient for you. You just don't come to God when it's convenient for you. You just throw out His name so easily. You just consider that you should have all the benefits of the kingdom, but not the king. It's not about you. This life in Christ is about Him. And if you're not growing and you're not maturing and you're just settling in and thinking you're comfortable just because you quote-unquote, go to church or call yourself a Christian, it means nothing. He knows your heart. He knows that your heart is divided and your desires are not fully on Him. 
You want your cake and you want to eat it too. And yet that is not what's offered to you through Christ. Go to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12. The Bible says, Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. Again, we're talking about people sitting in the church. Be careful then, Dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. See, when you're living in in community, and the community understands who's the head of the body, Jesus, not man, Jesus, when the body of Christ upholds the standards of Christ, People will not remain when they're continually being called out. Because sin is not to run amok. Sin is not to be active and allowed within the community. But what we've done is we've just excused sin. We make excuses We've dumbed Jesus down. We've stripped him down. We've made him common. He's like every other pagan god. And the reality is that is not how the community of believers ought to be living. No, there's a standard among us that God has set, not man. And there's a way in which we are called to encourage, to edify, and to build each other up. Not pretending that we've got it all together and that we're perfect. You pretending that you've got it all together and that you're holier than the next person is only deceiving yourself and others. Because you're not. And so we're called to live this out. And so when you hear this scripture, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. Because if your heart is evil and unbelieving, you will ultimately at some point turn away from God. Luke chapter 8, verse 13. Luke chapter 8, verse 13. The Bible tells us, these are Jesus' words. This is when he's talking about the farmer out there scattering the seed, the seed being the word, and he talks about all the different conditions of people's hearts. Here in chapter 8, verse 13, it says, The seeds on the rocky soil, that is the word, represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy, But since they don't have deep roots, they believe it for a while, then they fall away 
when they face temptation. This is the Word of God. This is Jesus' words. The Word, truth, has been sown into their heart, but the condition of their heart is rocky soil. They hear the message, and listen to this, they receive it with joy. But since they do not have deep roots, and that's why I continually to encourage us, we have to allow our roots to grow down deeper. You must mature, you must grow in the knowledge of God in order to stand for God and to bear His image to a darkened world. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, but then they fall away when they face temptation. Go back to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4 to 6. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4 to 6. This is the word of God, you all. For it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come. And who then turns away from God? It is impossible to bring such people back to repentance. By rejecting the Son of God, they themselves are nailing Him to the cross once again and holding Him up to public shame. That's the Word of God. And that may make us feel uneasy or uncomfortable. And it ought to. It ought to. And I pray that's not for any of us. But the reality is, this is the written word of God, the holy word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to inform us, to instruct us. And what a sad state of being for those who fall under these words. And that's why I've always told you over throughout the years, he cannot become common. He cannot become like another deity that all these other religions have. No, he is God, you all. He is holy. Listen, when I came to Christ, as Christ said, though I didn't know really what I was doing, I had to consider the cost. You have to consider the cost. Jesus tells us, Consider the cost. Before you start following me, he says, consider the cost. Because it's going to cost you everything. Everything. You're no longer in control. I'm in control. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to equip you. I'm going to empower you to accomplish what I've called of you. What I've purposed of you. But if we think that we're just going to slap him on our lives, experience the fullness among Christ and among the community of believers, 
and keep trampling his blood underneath our feet as if it's common? If we're going to say we're of Christ and yet we then turn and do things that are not of Christ, and that we just keep nailing him to the cross, we just keep nailing him to the cross. No, he's already been on the cross. He's already rose from the dead. Sin and death are defeated. Do you know him as the victorious one? As I keep telling you, a lot of people sitting among the community in the church today either have him still in the manger, still on the cross, are still in the tomb. But the God in whom the church worships is risen. The Bible even tells us our message is not just the cross, and if it was, we're foolish. No, we speak and we talk and we share about the resurrected Christ, the victorious one, the hope for all. Because we're all born into sin. We all are born into a a, a nature that is in complete rebellion towards Him. But yet God loves us in that state. And He came to redeem us. To reconcile us back to Him. This is the good news we have to share with others. We ought not to keep quiet. We are to share so when you consider the cost. When you're at that point, God has been pleased to reveal Himself to you through his son Jesus, and you recognize that you're in complete rebellion to a, to, to a holy God, and you see that he's made provision through his son, through his love, you can't help but humble yourself. And then now what do you do? He says, consider the cost. Because, beloved, it's going to cost you everything. Because my kingdom is not of this world. The hope that you are having me is going to carry you far beyond what you're searching for in this world. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. This is the life of a believer. This is the life of a believer. But those who did not consider the cause, those who were just maybe caught up in the moment, they heard the word, they received it with joy. But now they find themselves not fully satisfied with him. They've grown comfortable in their cloak of religion. And they're running amok. The hearts are darkened. I mean, listen to how the scripture talks about them. They keep nailing him to the cross. And holding him up for public shame. Like people hear people talk about Jesus. And then they look and see how they're living. You're you're holding him up to public shame. Do you understand that? Like again. I only can talk of myself. You can talk of yourself. But before I came to Christ. I used to look at Christians. Holding Christ up to public shame. They They say they believe in him. But their lives are so far from him. I told you, when I was a believer, I think I knew had more of a reverence for God, for Jesus, than quote-unquote his followers. But yet there were some true followers, there were some true Christians that I could recognize now back in those days. Oh no, they knew their Jesus. 
They weren't moved by me. They weren't compelled to just keep living however they want. No, I saw something different in them. I didn't want to be around them. Of course I didn't. Because they were a stench of death to me. But I recognized that these other so-called, like, oh, I'm a Christian, or you should come to church with me, and yet they could live in how I was living and doing what I was doing and running amok. How is that holy? How is that set apart? Because remember, God's purpose and God's plan to have a people that he will call his own, and in return, they will call him their God. From the beginning, Genesis to Revelation. That is his plan. That is his purpose. And when you hear that he would have a people who were called his own, he calls them out. He sets them apart. Holy. Because he's holy. But yet, what you hear the rumblings among the church, (laughs) that's radical. Don't get too (laughs) Jesus-filled. He understands we're just sinners and just be a sinner. That's all you're going to be. And we make sin greater than the one who defeated sin. Now, 1 John in the Bible tells us, he says, I write to you so that you will not sin, but when you do. So we understand that in this life, we're not going to live perfect lives. But even with that knowledge, we shouldn't just continue to allow sin to master us because the Bible clearly tells us that we're no longer a slave to sin, but now we are a slave to righteousness. That's why the Bible can tell you, Christian, throw off the sin that so easily entangles you and stop making excuses for it. Because the more you keep living your life making excuses for the sin in your life, you're holding him up to public shame. So when you see sin in your life, don't hide it, don't mask it, don't pretend you're holy. That's why you have community. First you go to Christ, and then you go to the community of believers, not unbelievers, believers, and you first confess to Christ, and then you confess to those people that Christ has put into your life so that you can be healed. See, there's no reason. I don't understand the concept of sitting in church and hiding. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. I don't understand the concept of just coming to church and then just living and living however you want and allowing sin to dominate your life. Because you're not going to find that anywhere in Scripture. And what we've done and what we've done good in the Western church is create apostates, not followers of Christ. Not followers of Christ. And it's time that we wake up. It's time that we see the signs of the times. We cannot continue to do what we have. Allowing people to feel comfortable in this condition that we just read. We can't. You don't see it in Scripture being applauded. Every Scripture we're hearing today, you don't see an apostate being applauded or pat on the head. Well, <laughs> we'll just make excuses for them. Like, No, you don't see that anywhere. But that's what we've done. That's what we've done. And so we have a generation of youth that are right being raised up by apostates. By people who really do not believe. And then we wonder where the generation is today in the church. 
God help us. God help us. Go to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20 through 22. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, hear that. And when people escape from the wickedness of this world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than before. It would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. This is the word of God. This isn't man's teaching. This is God because he's holy, you all. Like you know, that's why I keep telling you, do we know our God? Do we know Him? I didn't take it, nor should you take it lightly when you come to Christ. That's why when I minister and I share with people, I'm not trying to convert people. I don't have the power of that. That's the Holy Spirit's job. I can sow the seed, I can water it. But I'm called to share the gospel and to live out a life that's an image bearer of Christ. I didn't take it lightly coming to Christ. And I just don't take it lightly. I'm just not talking one part of my life. I know a lot of times, you know, when I share my testimony, I hone in just on the homosexual lifestyle. But that was just one part of who I was. I was a sinner as you are to the core. Everything in me, everything in you despises him. And yet there's something that he's placed within each of us that longs to connect with something greater than us. And that's why you have all these religions out there. But God, but God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. And Jesus knows if you're following him, if you're not. He knows. You're not, you're pretending, you're, you're pretending and, 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 and making something of him that he's really not and just doing what you want to do and having this desire to be safe and not yet really fully know the one who keeps you safe. How weird is that? How weird is that? <coughs> Like, have you really sat down and given thought on whom you say you believe in? I mean, the Bible's very clear. And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they're worse off than before. I've always told you that's a miserable, tormenting place to live. In my first months, year of my life after giving, this is before I totally understood what it meant to be a Christian and left it all. But for the first year up until that point, I thought I was a Christian. You wouldn't have been able to tell me any different. 
I went to the altar. I prayed a prayer. I was confessing Christ. I was doing and living. But as Christ, as the Holy Spirit really dealt with my heart and said, listen, who you are is evil. You are in complete rebellion towards me. No, I'm not. That's what I used to say. That's how I responded. Ah, shut up, devil. That's the devil speaking. I mean, read my journals. You, I've always told you, if you read the journal, you would think, this guy is crazy. It was a tormenting place to be. Because I wanted Christ. I've received the good news of Christ. But everything about me was not in line with Christ. And he loved me enough to say, oh no, you can't keep holding me up in shame. Could crucify me over and over. Oh no. Like everything. Everything of me. I had to recognize like, oh. Like true repentance. That's why we spent a whole, whole year last year talking about repentance. Like true repentance is a sincere regret and remorse. Like, oh God, that was me? That's me? Like, God, I'm sorry. Thank you that you love me. Like, do you understand his love for us? Yes. People say, well, I can't go to God because blah, blah, blah. i got to clean myself up. No. You come to God just the way you are, and he does the work in us. Like, I don't have to hide anything from him. You don't have to, I don't have to pretend to be good. I don't have to follow all the rules and the laws. No, I just love Jesus. And by loving Jesus, because he's fulfilled them, I can live. I can live. But the tormenting place would be that year or so where I thought I can keep my life and claim to be his. It can't be done. It won't be done. No matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you try, you know good and well. Because he's not going to let you go. Yeah, Christ revealed himself to me. God was pleased at that moment I was at that altar and I said that prayer. God knew that was going to happen. I did. Again, you're not going to wake up one day and just say, oh, I'm going to believe today in Jesus. No, God is working in us. He was working through me. He knew at what point that I would get to a year or so later on my knees crying out saying, okay, God, I'm all yours. And just as patient as he is with me, he is with you. But I'm just asking you, are you seeking him? Do you know him? Do you understand when scripture says this? And that you go and you just get entangled again. It doesn't feel right. Because you have two <laughs> natures living in you now. You're just not ruled by the flesh. You now have the nature of God in you, and they're warring against each other. Yes. How are you living? How are you living? It would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it, and then listen to this, listen to what they do, then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Back to Hebrews.
Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 through 31. Dear friends, if we deliberately, hold on to that word, continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy or the testimony of the two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant with which made us holy as if it were common and unholy, and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. He also said, the Lord will judge his own people. It is a terrible thing. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Again, today I'm focusing on the word apostate and apostasy. The falling away, the turning away from faith. The Bible is very clear as we continue to go through these last few scriptures that in the last days, this is what's going to happen. And that's why I keep trying to encourage us, are you ready for that? Are you standing firmly in Christ? Are your roots growing down deep? Do you know that you know that you know? You're not to be mastered by sin. Again, it doesn't mean that you won't sin, but you're not deliberately. Because if you're in Christ, you go to touch something, mm, it doesn't feel good anymore. You, you just thinking thoughts you ought not to be thinking, it just doesn't feel right. The two natures, again, as I keep telling you in Galatians 5, tells you they're warring against each other. So I love that picture. It's that struggle that takes place of the new creation coming forth. That is not who I am any longer. <laughs> and I can run to Christ. I don't have to hide from Him. He makes a way out of every temptation. I can go forth boldly into His presence. Father, I know Your Word says that if I humble myself before You and I resist the enemy, He has to flee. I know in the darkest hours and in the darkest seasons of life, even as a Christian, I know that I'm secured in Christ. Do you have that full assurance of who he is and how great he is and his love for you? Like, I, he could have just allowed me to end my life. He has spared each of your lives. He could have allowed that thing that was going to take you out, take you out. But you're not out. Because he has a plan for your life. And it's for him. It's not for yourself. He didn't create you to, for the temporalness of this life to satisfy you. You were created to be satisfied by Him. 
because you belong to him. Nothing, no one is going to satisfy you like him. And do you have that assurance? Do you know what that means? So that when you understand what's happening around the world, when you see all that's taking place, do you know him? I mean, can you truly know him? You can. Because he is pleased to reveal himself to you through Jesus. Such great love. Such great love that he has for us. And we can't keep deliberately sinning. That's the key. Deliberately. Do you know how many people have showed up for church or maybe didn't show up for church, rather here or anywhere else today, and they have active sin in their life, but they are deliberately doing it. They're choosing it. They're choosing to click on it. They're choosing to engage with it. They're choosing. They're deliberately on his blood, just making it common. It means nothing. Hasn't changed me. Oh, but I feel good in the presence, and I'll go to church when I want, and I'll I'll do and say, and I'll believe that somehow I'm saved. (laughs) But even back here, he tells the priest, you think because you show up to the temple and you offer sacrifices, that I'm pleased with you? Oh, no. Go read the book of Ezekiel. See how he dealt with them. I mean, look here in the New Testament. He says the older covenant was much easy. Now, Christ has came and accomplished all that he's doing. Oh, you don't have to worry about the pastor and two witnesses. Oh, no. It's not under the old covenant anymore. We're under the new covenant. You're going to fall into the hands of a living God. Are you confident in Christ? Are you secured in salvation that when you stand before him, you will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant? Because some are going to hear, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. That's not the lost. That's the religious. See, see the lost are just going to be swallowed up. <laughs> every, every knee is going to bow and confess that Jesus is Lord at the end. <laughs> but not everyone is entering in. But these people, these religious people, the, these people who, 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 I'm just among the church. Those are the ones we're talking about today. They're going to look at Jesus and say, oh, but didn't I do? Didn't I do? Didn't I say? Didn't I? Didn't I? Didn't I? And he's going to go, I don't know you because your sin is still mastering you. You're a worker of sin. You're not a worker of righteousness. And that's why I don't peddle a gospel out there just to peddle it. Poof, you're a Christian. Poof, you're a Christian. Poof, you're a Christian. No, we have to have conversation. We have to, we have to be real with each other. Like this is how you're to live. This is his inspired word. The Holy Spirit in you. So you don't live lives that grieve him. 
But you, you understand what it means when, when, the, when the Holy Spirit begins to convict and you understand how to respond. You understand that you have three enemies. You have the, the three enemies. You have the enemy, you have the world, and you have your flesh. You've got three forces that are far powerful than you that are out to destroy your soul. And so we just don't play church, you all. We just don't go to church. You are the church. And you've been called in commission for today, for this generation, to be brighter each and every single day. You're not finished. You're not finished. Never think you've arrived. Oh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm the top of the top, the cream of the crop of Christians. Oh no. You're never going to arrive until you're with him, but until then, keep growing. Remain humbled. Depend upon him. My dependency upon Christ is just as strong today and will remain just as strong as it was in the beginning. Just because you're maturing, you don't lighten up or loosen up your dependence on him. No, in fact, you cling a little bit tighter to him. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 through 4. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject truth and chase after myths. So be careful. Teachers that you're listening to, be careful as you're, as you're looking at the quote-unquote church Today, as you're looking at solid denominations who have been solid and standing for truth over the years are collapsing right in front of our eyes. Um, you can't get more solid than the Southern Baptist Association, but they're crumbling quickly, 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 quickly. I mean, it's remarkable Teachers that I used to just love to listen to, man, they're solid. I can't even hear them today. Because I'm like, oh God, that's demonic. And yet, it's all glazed and presented as if it's Jesus. So you just don't go along with teachers just because of their platforms. You better know what they're saying. And is it right? And is it true? And is it growing you? Is it maturing you? Is it, is it convicting you? Is it giving you the, the understanding like, oh, I've got to, I got to die to that. I got to, oh, like, yeah. Because if it's just puffing you up and making you feel good and making you just live your best life now, oh, something's wrong. I've always told you, if you hear the gospel being presented, giving you the right to live for yourself, it's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. From the beginning until the end, until Christ returns, we're to be set apart. This world is not our home. Yes, we can enjoy the fruit of our labor, but our, the fruits are not to have us. No, there's a way in which we're called to live. And not everyone is signing up for it. 
Not everyone is signing up for it. They didn't then, they don't do it now, and they will not. Because again, when, when everything begins to hit this earth, there's going to be the people of this earth are going to still say, you're not God. He's going to give them every opportunity to turn to him, and they're not going to. I mean, think about that. Think about that. Do you understand the forces that are at work and at play? The Bible tells us we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with the principalities and the rulers in the air of the darkness. And you think you could just go about your day-to-day as a Christian living in la-la land? That's not how it works. And you can say, well, oh, Rob, okay, well, that's what you believe. Oh, okay, that, that's comfortable for you. But for me, I see Jesus this way. How? I've challenged people over the years. Show me then. And then they would try to pull out scriptures here and there. And I said, but... Did you read the context of everything? Because I can do the same thing. I can go in and pick and choose what's right and what's good for me. But if I don't have the full counsel of the word of God, then I've just created another Jesus with a lowercase j. And I've always told you, you can look at all the religions out there. I didn't follow all of them, but some of the major ones back in the days I sought after I mean, people who were close to me knew, like, this guy is on a a mission to to whatever. I was involved in this and that and this and that. But now that I look back and after becoming a Christian, I'm like, oh, wow. They wrapped up scripture with a lie. And I challenge you, and I because I challenged myself after coming to Christ to start looking into this. You go and you look at all of those false religions out there. And do you know the basis of what they teach? Scripture but yet they don't have the whole counsel. And that's how the enemy works. That's how the enemy works. The Bible tells us demons know the word. Satan knows to appear as light to deceive Christians. And you think just coming and going and, oh, okay, well, okay, I believe. And and it means really nothing is how it's to be lived. That's not it's not. I mean, listen to this again. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires. And will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myth. Go to John 15. John 15, verse 6. John 15, verse 6. Jesus' words. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But they were also, but I'm sorry, but there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. 
They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who brought who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 9 through 12. Jesus' words. Then you will be arrested. He's talking to his followers. Persecuted and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets, I'm sorry, and many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Listen to this. Sin will run rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. This is Jesus speaking about the last days before he returns. People hate truth. People hate truth. They always have. They always will. But it's intensifying. People hate it. And so when you're listening to news or you're looking at social media and you're seeing these people react, they're out of their minds when it comes to truth. Not just, it doesn't even just have to be about Christianity, just truth about a situation or about this or about that. They react because they've been fed an agenda. They're being lied to. They're being deceived. And they're passionate about it. Where are the people of truth? Are we passionate about truth? Are we passionate about Christ? He tells us, you're going to be arrested, persecuted, and killed. I mean, our brothers and sisters overseas knows what that's like, but it's coming here sooner than you think. You're hated. You're going to be hated. Just claim Jesus of the Bible. Not the Jesus that you've created with the lowercase j, but the Jesus of the Bible. Just go out there and speak and watch how people resist him in you. It's not you. It's him. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. And they will attack you. Because you believe in Jesus, the author of life, the giver of life, the hope for life. I've always told you, it doesn't make sense in the natural that people are so hostile to a group of people who believe in Jesus, a man of peace, and yet also a man of wrath. But his wrath is to come. He wasn't wrathful upon this earth. (laughs) He tells his followers to think of others before you think of yourself. He says, respect authority. Serve and give. Share with people, but don't force them to believe. Let them know the hope and the way and the truth and the life that astounded me. Be good workers. Don't be busybodies. Stop gossiping, stop slander. There is a way in which you're called to live. So as I've always told you, Christians should be actually welcomed into society. 
society doesn't have to believe, but they should be like, no, we want these people around us. We need these people. They're good workers. They're honest. They have great character because of the one in whom they serve. What's the big deal? Let them in. In the natural, it wouldn't make sense to push out the ones that can actually contribute to society. And that's why I've always told you, we have got to stop looking with our natural eyes. You have got to be awakened and see that this is far greater than us. It's the rulers, it's the principalities, it's the air, it's the darkness. Satan is running amok because he knows his time is near. Remember the demons when Jesus showed up in a town? They knew who he was. Is it time? They knew. They're running amok. Stop taking God by surprise. So when your eyes have been opened to truth, when you know that Jesus is victorious, oh, you can walk upright amongst the wicked and the perverse. You can live and let your light so shine because darkness is not going to stuff it out. There's a way in which you will walk in a a society that tells you you're not welcomed. Oh, there's a way to hold on and to clean when they're stripping you of your material possessions and say you don't belong. There's a way in which to have confidence in Christ and not yourself. He tells them, you're going to be murdered. You're going to be persecuted. They're going to hate you. And I love when, when, when Jesus says all of this craziness and how horrible it's going to be. But then he finally ends and he says, but my word, the gospel, it'll still go throughout the earth. Because darkness can never extinguish light. Listen, y'all, this is so much greater than a little Sunday school message or a little institutional church or, okay, this is how we go to church. No, no, there's something so much greater. Do you know? Do you know him? Like, we can't keep playing. Like, do you know him? Are you seeking him? And he said, but I don't know how. Well, then that's why the Bible, he tells us, preach the gospel. People receive it, and people accept him. They, they have come to a belief in the confession that he's the son of God, and that he rose from the dead, and they understand that they are sinners, and that they need him, and their eyes have been opened. They have been reborn of a new nature. Then baptize them. And then from baptism, disciple them. The reason why there's so many apostates within the church, within the Western church, and I'm sure throughout the earth, is because of the lack of discipleship. It saddens me that these other false religions that claim Jesus, oh, they can disciple their followers. In fact, they demand of it. You don't get discipled, you're out. Oh, they protect that. I mean, look at the Mormons, look at the Jehovah Witnesses. Oh, they know. Oh, in order to mold and to shape and for them to conform, they have to be taught. And not only are they taught, but they have to share it. They have to live it. And yet you can go and you can have a conversation with a Jehovah Witness or a Mormon and they'll know. But do you know you can go out there and talk to Christians and they don't know? Oh, are you recently saved? No, I've been in the church for 20 years. What? 
That's why I tell you when I'm counseling people, and a lot of them are Christians, and they and they have that deer in the you know headlight look like I've never heard of this. But what, what are you preaching? What are you talking about? I'm like, what do you mean you haven't heard this? Like it's in the Bible. Look, it's right here. All my years I didn't know this. And again, I, I'm not blaming the pastors. I'm blaming that individual <laughs> because that individual did not desire to be discipled. Like, are you being discipled? Are you growing? Are you understanding what it means? Because it's important because Jesus says, teach them to obey all of my commands. Sunday mornings are nice, but that's not going to carry you over when the enemy kicks down the door Monday morning. When the world starts pressing up on you at noon on Monday, and when your flesh is desiring everything and anything by 5 o'clock or 6 and then you wonder why you're living a defeated life. Oh, I just can't be a good Christian. I can't be like those holier people. Well, that's just it. And you make all these weird things up. It's because you're choosing not to grow. Not to grow. That's why community is vital. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. 2. Oh, chapter 3. Wait, Second Peter. No. Second. Yeah, Second Peter three. I'm sorry, verse seventeen. Second Peter. It says two. Two. That's further. That's that one's down. I've got to read Second Peter three seventeen. You, you just did. Oh, I did. So now we're on John six sixty six. Oh, John six sixty six. I thought it was in Matthew. No, I didn't read Second Peter three seventeen. If I did, I'm going to read it again. I thought it was in Matthew twenty four nine through twelve, but Second Peter three seventeen. I need to hear it then because it says here, "You already know these things, dear friends. So be on guard. Then you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing." Listen to that. You already know these things. He's talking to those sitting in the church, dear friends, so be on guard. Then you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. And those evil people, those wicked people are not the lost. He's talking about the apostates. He's talking about those sitting in the church pretending. Because you know, especially for new believers... When they look and they see and they were like, well, that person, I, I admire. They seem to really be close to Jesus or they seem to, you know, kind of have a, uh, an in. But yet they see those believers, so-called believers, just keep doing whatever they're doing. And they can get away with it. So why, why the urgency of, of growing in holiness? Why the urgency of, of righteousness? Why the urgency? Because, well, look at this person or look at that person. I told you years ago, I had a lady reach out to me. She wanted to have lunch. I said, okay, we can have lunch. She began to just give me a what for. Oh, you hold up all these standards. This and that, this and that. That's a bit much. Okay. So really, and so I remember looking at her and saying, well, really, what is your beef? 
What's, what's your problem? Well, I, I've got these things going on in my life and I don't see a problem with them. Okay. So she tends to tell me how she's involved with this affair. She's married. She's involved with this affair, with this man, this affair, with this woman. You know, all this crazy stuff going on. And she's serving in church. She's a youth pastor. And I'm uncomfortable when I'm around you. (laughs) Well, I want you to remain uncomfortable around me. Because do you really think that you're serving God? Do you really think? As I begin to lay out truth, you need to repent. Do you understand what's in store for you? And after I pleaded with her, she looked at me and she says, this pastor, this pastor, this one, this one over here, this one, you, this is what they're involved in. So why don't you go tell them, I'm going to do what I want to do. Gets up and walks away. You already know these things, dear friends. So be on guard. Then when you will not be then you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. You see, you may not believe it. You you don't have to have just a position, quote unquote, in the church for people to look at. People just look at Christians. There's someone looking at your life. Rather, they're in the church or outside the church because they know that you go to church. (laughs) Remember what I said earlier? What are they seeing? How are you witnessing? How are you witnessing? Because if you're not bearing his image, if you're not transforming in front of them, you're leading them away. And how sad. How sad. John 6, 66. Isn't that, isn't that set of verses interesting? 666? Six, six, six? And listen to what it says. <laughs> if you've never seen it before. John 6, 66. <laughs> Don't worry. I'll get us out of here. We're going to walk through our scriptures next week. But John 6, 66. At this point, many of the disciples turned away and deserted him. Not everybody that's in today is going to be in tomorrow. (laughs) Remember, Jesus had thousands of followers. I mean, his ministry was prime. I mean, you could look at the natural and be like, man, he's on it. What is he doing? Let's learn from him. Let's build, you know, let's follow his 12 steps. And Jesus came to save the lost. He was revealing himself. He was allowing them to gain an understanding of the character of God. God among them. Fully God, fully man. He was living, doing miraculous things, teaching with such great authority, exposing the the religious and the lies. But then when he finally knew that his time was pivoting to the cross, the cross was always purposed, but there had to come a time where we start to stop shifting the focus and now get about the purpose. So he turned to his followers and says, 
You must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. He began to teach them spiritual understandings. And everybody was okay. Keep it low. Keep it easy for us, Jesus. What is he talking about? Eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. What is he saying? Ah, and do you hear what they said? Go read it. I've read it many times before. They said, this is too hard for us to understand. We don't want to be like them holy people. No, no, it's too hard for us to understand. So let's just keep it down. In fact, let's just turn away from it. And they turn away and they begin to walk away from Jesus. The Bible says they deserted him. Or they were in it for a season when it was all well and comfortable. But once you start talking about holiness and righteousness and what is this and what is that and really who are you? Who are you? Well, then that doesn't fit in with our agenda. So yeah, no, never mind. And they turn right back out. And I've always told you, you can probably, if you've been around here long enough, you can say what I'm about to say. If I was writing the Bible, that's where I would have written, wrote Jesus wept. Like, wow, like thousands walked away in just a few minutes. Twelve of them were standing there looking. One of them was of the devil. But the Bible doesn't say Jesus ran after them. The Bible didn't say Jesus wept. It didn't say he ran and got ahead of them and said, okay, well, I'll dumb it down, just love me. Just love me, I'll dumb it down, I'll make it easy for you. No, the Bible does not say that. <laughs> it says Jesus looked at the twelve and said, are you leaving too? And remember, where can we go? You hold the words to eternal life. So there's going to be a great fall away, you all. But Jesus is not weeping over it. He already knows it's happening because he knows the hearts of men. But he's asking you, are you going to? Are you going to? Let's just get to the, let's just get beer. Let's be real. Now, who am I dealing with? He says, basically. He already knew. He knew Judas was there. And even though Judas was among them, oh yeah, where can we go? You're the words to eternal life. He knew ultimately he would betray him. He knew those that he's elected and those that he has purposed for him. 2 Peter, chapter 2. 2 Peter, chapter 2. 2 Peter 2.17. Jesus is talking about these false teachers, these apostates sitting in the church. These people are as useless as dried up springs or as a mist blown away by the wind. They are doomed to the blackest, blackest darkness. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 12. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. 1 John 2.19 1 John 2.19 These people, again, these apostates, these false teachers, 
These people left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And carry I've added through 11. So it's chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. Alright, so 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? He's writing to the church. He's not, we already know what's happening to the lost, but he's letting the church know. This is the church in Corinth. It's a wicked and perverse, very sexualized city. I mean, they have temples where people are just having sex on the stairs with prostitutes, male and female prostitutes. It's a hot mess of a city. And yet, God, that's why I love, I mean, I just get so, like, God, you're so awesome. God loved those people. That he sent Paul to go establish a church. Go tell them of my love for them. See, we have a wrong understanding of who God is. Yes, he's a God of wrath, but he's ultimately a God of love. He's going to give you an opportunity to know him. It's, uh, your fate is up to you. Rather, you receive what he's given or not. I mean, ultimately, he knows the direction you're going. He already knows. But he sent forth Paul to go preach the gospel, and people started responding to the gospel. Leaving their lives. They were no longer prostitutes on the stairs. The male prostitutes got saved. The female prostitutes got saved. These false worshipers of other deities, they were getting saved. It was turning the city upside down. The church was established. But yet, there were those that just got caught up in it. Oh, this is fun. Oh, yeah. Look at this community of people. Remember what I've always told you. Your basic need is just to belong. So people just were attractive to this new community being formed. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? So don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. He's talking to the church because he knew that there were some, some people sitting in there still running amok outside the door. But then he offers some good news in verse 11. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of of God. You were made right. He's reminding them of their new nature now. You were once like them. Don't get sidetracked by what you're seeing sister and brother so-and-so keep doing on the outside. You remain focused. You stay pure. You press in. You're a new creation. 
You're in Christ. Don't get sidetracked. Don't think, well, if they can do it, I can do it. Because he tells them, no, those who continue in that life, you're not getting in the kingdom just because you're sitting in church. Go to, finally, Matthew. Matthew chapter 13. Verse 41, and I added through 43, Carrie. Jesus' words. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. These are Jesus' words, you all. Jesus' words. I've been so burdened this week. Just had a really rough day even yesterday. Just like, God. Lord, do we truly grasp what's going on and the time in which we're living. Do we truly understand what's ahead of us? And God, I hope we do. I really hope we do. I know people like to be in and out quick as ever when it comes to church, but I just can't do it that way. We open up, and I just want the word given to y'all so that you all can go back and understand it and study it as the Spirit of the Lord is leading you. I'm not going to carry us through to walking through the Scriptures. And we, and we have those Scriptures because I really want you to know God and learn of God and who He is. And I, I we'll pick that up next week because I love these portions of Scriptures that we were to walk through today. But we went through a lot of Scripture today. And, and it's important that you do understand. Like, are you really in Christ? And if you're not, what's keeping you from Christ? Because he loves you. It is his desire and his will that none shall perish. But we are living in a fallen world. In a fallen world. And you have a place to belong, and it's in Christ. You don't have to go out to the temporalness of life to try to find your purpose. And to feel as if you're accepted. Because you never will be out there. But in Christ, let me tell you, it's sweet, you all. In Christ, I wouldn't trade it. Even when my my old nature wants to scream and say, but is it really worth it? Yes, it's worth it. Because there's nothing that you can offer me that you already haven't given me. For God's sake, my nature gave me everything I ever wanted. (laughs) And it never satisfies me. All the addictions and all the relationships and everything else. I ended up wanting to commit suicide. On the outside, it looked like I was living, but the inside was just dying because I still didn't feel like I belonged. But when I heard him speak, today you'll live. In an instant, I knew whose presence I was in. I call God, Jesus, you're real. 
He doesn't have to step into our lives, you all. But he has stepped in. And even if you say, well, no, he hasn't, well, then can you recognize the day he has? Because yet he's given you another opportunity to hear him, to know him, to love him. I do want to end with... And it won't be long. But the Heidelberg Catechism is what we're walking through this year. We're on day four. We're still in the first part of misery. And I just challenge you all, if you haven't started this, would you start it? Would you just get rooted? This is a form of discipleship. It's not Catholicism. We're not teaching what the Catholic Church teaches. You know, this is a catechism that just means teaching. Uh, a, a gentleman back in the 1500s, a pastor, he wrote it out to help disciple his, his, his congregation, and it's been used since the 1500s. And I started studying it last year, and it is so rich to really lay out an understanding for you to be able to share with others about God and the truth of his word. Like day one, remember, it was to understand comfort, your comfort in life and death, you know? And if you want to walk through it and you don't feel like you're getting a lot of it or maybe you've missed some parts and you want to set up a time with me to kind of go through it, I'd, I'd love to. doesn't mean you have to come here. We can do it over Zoom or over something to where we can discuss things so that you have an understanding. But in order to truly grasp the comfort, you have to understand first the misery. And so we've already gone through day two and day three that focuses on the misery. And so day four kind of concludes the, the misery. We understand from day two and three that God did create everything good. But because man gave over, it's man that turned everything bad. That's what sin does. And so anyways, day four, misery. Question number nine. It's these questions, and then you get an answer. And then I give you the scriptures. And we don't go through all the scriptures on Sundays. We do that on Wednesday nights. But I give you the scriptures to back up the answer. So you realize it's not man giving you these answers. Like It's actually coming from the word of God. So the question is, but doesn't God do us an injustice by requiring his laws what we are unable to do? The answer, no. God created human beings with the ability to keep the law. They, however, provoked by the devil, in willful obedience, robbed themselves and all of their descendants of these gifts. And then we have all the scriptures laid out there. Then number 10, does God permit such disobedience and rebellion to go unpunished? Certainly not, is the answer. God is terribly angry with the sin we are born with as well as the sins we personally commit. As a just God, God will punish them both now and in eternity, having declared, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the things written in the book of the law. And then finally, well, but isn't God also merciful? God is certainly merciful, but also just. God's justice demands that sin committed against his supreme majesty be punished with severe penalty, external punishment of body and soul. You see, apart from Christ, we're damned. 
wrath is coming <laughs> because a holy God we've turned against. But oh, because of his great mercy and of his great love, he sent Jesus. And Jesus took the punishment that we deserve. That's why we can't make light of what Jesus is. We just can't look at the cross and shed a little tear like, oh God. No, do you really understand what he endured that day? <laughs> because it was meant for you. It was meant for me. He took it. So that you have, have no fear of it. You, want, you don't have to have the fear of the wrath of God. Oh, you should have the fear of God, but you shouldn't have the fear, you shouldn't have the fear of the wrath of God if you're in Christ. See, I'm in Christ and I still fear God because he's holy. I don't fear his wrath because he loves me. And I know he loves me. Even on my bad days, I know he loves me. I know he loves me enough to say, son, that was not the way to act or to respond. Throw off that sin that so easily entangles you. Repent. Turn to me. You don't belong there. But I keep going back, but trust in me. You keep going back because you keep looking at it. Let me satisfy you. You see, I don't know how you're interacting with the living God. But I know, and I, my desire is that you interact with him now than to fall into his hands at the end. And to be turned over to his wrath. And listen, it's not to scare people. It's just the reality of what's ahead for those who are not in Christ. Eternal, eternity. Separated from God. But yet, having a knowledge of him. But burning. And for what? Because you just have to be entertained by what you want to do. You have to be give in to what you desire. <laughs> you have every right to live however you want to live. <laughs> but oh, how I pray that you would truly know how to live by finding freedom that Christ so freely offers us. I want to close this with this last song. And then I'll close this in prayer. They're crying.